Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. This is Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at my Chicago Sky. Uh, Stephen, what do we have on the docket for this week? We, you wanted to talk about the Sky because they've had a pretty roller coaster season, but we've got a lot of things to talk about. We do have a lot of things to talk about. I mean, it, it's been well documented, right? They had the uh, seven-game losing streak. I think they went one in seven. Is that right? After Parker went down, they, they yes. won that game against... Atlanta and then it was kind of rough from there but uh, since Candace Parker and others have returned uh, things have turned around quite a bit for your Chicago Sky. That's right my Chicago Sky uh, and before we kind of get get into the nitty-gritty here I think one of the reasons you wanted to talk about this is because there's a lot going on here um, a lot of it's, it's easy to point at Candace Parker's return from the ankle injury as the turning point and it's completely fair you know I mean she's still one of the best players in the world and we have praised her effusively on this on, on this podcast, but there's more to it than that. They've got they've gotten a lot of players back. Some things have gone their way as far as luck is concerned. That hasn't uh, that didn't go their way during the losing streak. They made a couple weird roster moves that we can talk about maybe. Um, so yeah, there's a lot going on here. But um, where do you want to start? Yeah, some players have come in. Some players have uh, either permanently left or, or left for international commitments. But um, I mean, let's start, I guess, with just kind of some baseline numbers. You know, this, uh, they are on a, a seven game win streak. And we're recording this before the Sunday game. I, I know this won't come out until Monday, but we're recording this on Saturday. So some either, you know, the win streak will, will have been broken or, uh, you know, there'll be seven in one in their last eight games. Either way, it's been a pretty impressive turnaround. So I, I didn't think it was too big of a deal if we kind of recorded this a day early. We weren't going to have you know, updated statistics either way. So, um, but over that seven game losing streak, they were a, an elite defense still a 98.1, maybe not elite, but a, a pretty darn good defense over that losing streak, but really had a dreadful time offensively, 91.3 offensive rating during that streak. And that's kind of where, where they've turned around. They almost a 110 offensive rating during this win streak, still great on defense, really haven't missed a beat, gotten even better. 94.1 defensive rating. They are third in net rating since, you know, the, the date that this uh, winning streak started uh, on June 9th. They have not been turning the ball over very much and they've been forcing a ton of turnovers. So that that's a pretty good uh, recipe for this specific team that, that can absolutely kill you in transition and, you know, not giving away those easy opportunities. Their losing streak was not really, I, I think, you know, one of the more concerning things about it was that it wasn't really against the best competition, right? They lost against the right. Sparks three times. They lost against a Liberty team that was a little bit in better shape then than it, it is now. Uh, and then the Dream and the Mercury twice. And uh, similarly, these wins haven't exactly been, you know, world beaters, uh, but still, you, you got to kind of take what you can get here. And that's, that's one thing I wanted to bring up right away is that, uh, you know, uh, Sky fans could point at um, – Point, or maybe not even Sky fans, but WNBA fans in general could point at these, this winning streak for the Sky and say, uh, well, they're not playing great competition. And yeah, I, I can hear that argument. There's, they have yet to play Seattle this season. And they have yet to play Las Vegas. So those will be two huge tests for the Sky team. But uh, fans of other teams were probably saying the exact same thing when they played Chicago when they're on this losing streak. Um, I mean, they lost to the Sparks three times. Like, where would the Sparks be right now if, if that didn't happen? Or, or the Mercury? They lost to the Mercury twice, Dream once. Like you said, they weren't exactly world beaters. But in this in this league, a 12-team league with such a short season, you know, you, you don't feel sorry for yourself. You can't feel sorry for yourself or for anyone else. So, um, 
But I mean, if I could just jump in, that that yeah. was kind of I think a complaint of both of ours when we kind of like saw the schedule and saw how many of these games against the same team would be kind of clustered together. Is that it? You know, if you're missing someone for even just a couple of weeks, it really kind of messes up the competitive balance of of the schedule. You know, it's so easy to kind of face one version of a team, you know, the entirety of your games that you're going to play against them, like for the Sparks, for example, or the, the Sun for another, you know, I don't think Chicago is going to play a, a, a Sun with John Quell Jones. So, you know, the, the timing, I think, of, of some of the scheduling, and you know, this league has to deal with uh, travel that, that no other league really has to deal with, the size of the WNBA. So, I, I mean, it's just kind of an unfortunate reality. I mean, the other day, they're, they're nine and seven now, uh, all the way up to fourth place, which is, I mean, that's, it's, it, I don't want to say it's surprising, but it, it happens fast, um, especially when the whole the middle of the league is is so clustered together. You know, I mean, there's a pretty clear first and second best team and a pretty clear 12th team, but everything in the middle of that is, is kind of uh, up in the air still. But let's get into the nitty-gritty here, if you don't mind. Um, first things first, Candace Parker returned from her ankle injury, um, and she has been pretty much everything that is advertised. Yeah, I think we preseason – had kind of uh, looked at Candace Parker as really like the perfect front court addition for what this team needs. And they were able to maintain defensively without her, but even her, her return, you know, has taken this defense to another level, I think. And, you know, I don't think there was any more kind of perfect encapsulation of that than these two Liberty games where, you know, she perfectly ignored Michaela Onyenwede and, and identified Michaela Onyenwede as a player that, okay, if, if this team is going to beat us, you know, Onyenwede is going to have to either uh, kill us from corners from three or finish over me at the rim because uh, Parker was just stationed right in the paint the entirety of the game, completely shutting off any driving lanes for uh, Liberty perimeter players or for whatever reason, there was like a, you know, a one five pick and roll with one of their bigs. Uh, just like we talked about with John Quill Jones, you know, guarding a four that doesn't really need to be guarded. Parker was just there at the rim awaiting anything coming her way. And, you know, it's exceedingly difficult to be able to kind of, and I've said it before, I think Parker is maybe not the best shot blocker in the league, but just kind of defending with verticality and kind of using her body to defend the rim. One of the best in, in the league for sure. And, you know, obviously there's the offensive end as well, where, you know, the, the additional playmaking, the additional spacing, uh, and not just Parker, but Steph Dolson as well. Like things are just a lot easier to navigate offensively for, you know, the perimeter players with, with that additional spacing and that additional passing from both of those two players. And then, you know, defensively, uh, there's not as much pressure on the perimeter players to, there, there's a little bit more uh, margin of error, I guess is what I should say. That's a good way of putting it, a little more margin for error. I think if you look back to that losing streak that this guy were on, um, so much pressure was on Courtney Vandersloot to initiate everything. And I mean, that that's no, she's not a stranger to that, but this guy had like very little functional depth at that point. And if it wasn't Vandersloot creating a shot, you know, it was, it was, you know, a lot of like Diamond DeShields and Kalia were trying to take people one-on-one, not really getting many easy shots in the paint if it wasn't like Ruthie Hebert rolling to the hoop. And it, just not a lot of plays that players that really complimented Vandersloot's skill set. Now that the floor is spaced and there's a lot more movement going on, you know, James Wade did say he, he scrapped a large portion of the playbook towards the end of that losing streak to maybe make things a little easier so they weren't thinking as much. I don't know if they have, I don't know if that has uh, reversed course now or, or what, but with, with Parker on the floor, you mentioned it, the additional playmaking is, is just such a luxury, especially because it's coming from a player who's 
a completely different position than your, your primary playmaker in Vandersloot. So there's a lot of versatility there. There's a lot of optionality, as you like to say. And then, of course, on defense, like you said, the, just the intelligence. I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but she provides a calming presence on defense. You know, uh, I don't think, even if she's not blocking shots or, or getting steals, which she is pretty good at still, it feels like she's uh, a very good communicator on defense, and she just doesn't make many mistakes in coverage. As a Sky fan, I'm no stranger to lots of blown coverage from frontcourt players or just lots of coverage that the frontcourt players aren't able to stick with faster or stronger perimeter players. But with Parker out there, and specifically when Parker is in a specific defending a specific action, you don't really need to worry about her completely blowing a coverage or making a mistake or falling asleep on defense, you know. So that's – you mentioned that this guy had a pretty good defense prior or with Parker off the floor. I kind of question if that doesn't have to do with, you know, just playing some teams that aren't very strong. But now that Parker's on the floor, I think it's pretty much legit. I think it's a good expectation to think of this guy that are going to finish like a, a top four, top five defense. Well, I'm, one thing I'm glad that you brought up was like the, the increased workload for Courtney Vandersloot. Like I think, you know, I've said previously that I think this guy can be at their best when Vandersloot is a little bit more on the aggressive side. But like what we saw during those like, that seven game losing streak was really the extreme version of that. And uh, I, I don't think she's necessarily the type of player that, you know, it's, it's late in the game and, and we need not just a basket, but kind of like four or five good offensive possessions in a row where you kind of have to do everything and finish the play. And she's a tremendously talented player, but she was a, just a little bit overburdened and, you know, the sky are obviously better off for, you know, getting some increased kind of uh, not just, you know, shooting around her, but uh, Parker, Dolson, Quigley are, are all good uh, passers to, to some extent, you know, Quigley a, a little bit more of a play finisher, but having that additional floor balance, like Sloot was, I think, kind of really struggling in that role to be kind of the alpha and the omega offensively in terms of play finishing. Well, that, that uh, brings me to something that I wanted to address. You know what this guy were really, really struggling with during that losing streak was ball pressure and that, and Vandersloot included. You know, but now that teams can't just blitz everything against the sky, now that teams just can't double team every single pick and roll or, or pick up full court or whatever, the sky are much more efficient offensively. Like during that losing streak, I mean, like they could barely even get the ball off the court. It was extremely frustrating as a sky fan to watch. But now that you've got passers, you've got more passers and you've got more screeners, it's, it's opening up a lot more. So I definitely wanted to talk about Allie Quigley and, and maybe we can okay. – Lupin uh, stepped also into this part of the conversation as well. But Quigley, during this seven-game win streak, has been fantastic. Uh, 62% true shooting. One thing I thought was interesting is she's really playing kind of a lot more inside the arc. And not just in, inside the arc, but in the paint specifically. This is, you know, her, she's at her, at least during this win streak, kind of like the lowest three-point attempt rate that we've seen since her six-player of the year days four or five years ago and she's getting to into the paint and to the free throw line higher than we've seen in some cases you know for the free throw line since she's become a full-time rotation player and then into the paint you know her highest proportion you know a third of her shots essentially are coming from in the paint and uh, I can't remember a time where Ali Quigley was ever doing that uh, in terms of at least when she was kind of a full-time rotation player, like I was saying. And she's been leading this team in scoring despite playing essentially only half the game at 14 points a game during this run here, uh, playing 22 minutes a game. You know, the offense is just kind of unstoppable when she's been in the game. 
as you'd expect, I mean, she's still one of the best shooters in the WNBA. And this is something I think she's kind of regressing positively. You know, I think uh, last season in the bubble, she wasn't really at her best. But now you're seeing Allie Quigley, just how devastating, you're reminded of how, just how devastating of an offensive player she really is. It seems like they're, they're, they're running more of that, that curl action, uh, like around the free throw line area for her, which is, is why her three-point attempt rate is, is maybe a little lower than you'd expect. But you made a good point. I mean, she's getting into the paint a lot more, which is maybe a little unexpected. But if she's getting to the free throw line, I mean, that's only good news for Allie Quigley because she, like, never misses free throws. But that, uh, that scoring efficiency is, is really big because – She's, you know, I don't think she's going to be playing heavy minutes at this point. Uh, it was like 20, 22, 23, something like that minutes per game right now. I wouldn't expect that to be much higher. One, because, you know, they're, they're probably still managing her, her, her load, managing her injury, her previous injury. And two, because the, the fewer minutes that she plays, maybe they can invest more offense in her. Whereas, you know, she might be taking some plays off if she's playing 28, 30 minutes a game. I, I don't think you're going to be seeing that anymore. Yeah, she's obviously a player that's getting up there in age. Is, is she their oldest player on the team? Is she older than Candace Parker? Um, is she older than CP or, or CP? I mean, either way, she's, you know, 35, 36 yeah, years old. Yeah. She's definitely uh, a veteran of the league, we'll say. Um, but like I was saying, the offense has just been outstanding when she's been in the game during this win streak. And for as good as the Sky have been, you know, the offense has just been kind of okay overall. Uh, you know, it's They've had a 114 offensive rating during the win streak when Quigley plays, and they're just a tick under 100 uh, when she's on the bench. So, you know, she's she's canning them from three, uh, 48% from three, just under 50% from two. And the other big thing about it, you know, about Quigley coming back and, and the return of some of these rotation players, that is, it's just kind of allowing for Diamond to Shields and Kalea Copper to play less together. Uh, you know, not overall, I think their minutes have been pretty consistent, but just, you know, you don't have to play those two players who are not necessarily a natural fit together. You know, they were playing 29 minutes a game together during the losing streak, and that's down to, you know, 17, 18. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Copper and the Shields, for, for their uh, individual athletic strengths, I think they're kind of a redundant fit together. And once again, going back to the seven-game losing streak, uh, defenses didn't really have to think. If, if I could put it that way, they didn't really have to think as much um, when both the shields and copper were on the floor. Of course, they'd have to get back like, like crazy in transition. But if you're, if you're facing off against a, a wing pairing of the shields and copper in the half court defense, I think that's fairly simple. I'm not going to say easy because it's not, but it's much simpler to defend than if you have a combination of Ali Quigley and maybe Steph Dolson for, with all their screening action move, and moving without the ball. And of course there are three point prowess. Whereas for the Shields and Copper, I mean, if you, you're going to want to clog the paint against them and, and whatever contested pull-up two-point jumpers that they take, I mean, you're, you're, you're more than happy with letting them take that. But if Quigley and one of Copper and the Shields are on the floor, then I feel like you have much better balance in what you can do offensively because then even if you're not – even if you're, like, running a play for Quigley, like, off the basketball and they, they bottle that up, then you have a really, really elite athlete on, on the weak side that you can maybe get something out of rather than make that your primary option. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I, I think Copper, to me, is a little bit more of like a, a self-creator. You know, I, I don't really dive into Shields for kind of all her gifts. When when she's taking kind of, uh, you know, if she's running a pick and roll or if she's really taking like, you know, three or more dribbles in the half court, I, I don't think things typically go well for this guy, frankly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
but copper over this win streak has been great. You know, that's another one that we've really seen a turnaround. You know, she's seen an increase in her usage and her efficiency. You know, she was struggling a little bit over the losing streak, just uh, 46.5% true shooting. She's been up to 55% true shooting over uh, the past seven games. And she's getting into the restricted area more during these last few games. And, and she's finishing a lot better, frankly. 54% of her shots coming from within the restricted area during this win streak. It, it was, you know, still a very, very respectable 43%. Uh, frequency during the losing streak but her finishing around the rim is really what's kind of jumped up up from uh, 47% when they were losing games up to 56% and you know for me she's she's been playing through contact a little bit better and she was getting out in transition kind of during the the losing streak and during the winning streak obviously like that's that's what she's going to do but I, I don't know if it was just maybe uh, a, a burden of you know or free, a feeling of a burden of kind of having to create a little bit more um, but they were just some makeable misses that that copper we saw from copper during that losing streak in transition uh, especially but in the half court as well and you know I think Candace Parker is another uh, you know this is another example of kind of where she has really helped uh, an individual player on this team you know she's had nine assists from Candace Parker you know tied for the most on on the team uh, with Vandersloot and a lot of those are coming in the open court but you know a, a lot of them as well just coming through well-timed cuts and, and it's a lot easier to cut when everything's open and the ball's pinging around a little bit more and you just have more natural passers and floor spacers. Well, that, that, that last point is what I wanted to, is what I wanted to say. I mean, it's, it's harder as a defense if you don't know where the pass is coming from, right? I mean, if, if both Parker and Vanderson are on the floor, I mean, that's, that's twice as many primary playmakers as, as usual. So that's, that's absolutely huge for a player like Kalia. I agree. Uh, where should we go from here? Um, let's mention Stephanie Dolson real quick because, um, you know, for all her weaknesses and, and, and we have kind of given her some grief on this podcast before, I think she has been a pretty effective player in a somewhat limited role since she returned from playing with uh, Team USA in the three-on-three tournament there, the three-on-three qualifiers. Um, she's shooting 53.8% from three. It's not huge volume, but that's pretty big. And then, of course, her, her screening ability, as always, is, is massive. Yeah, kind of going into this, I was like really expecting the offense to to be awesome when Dolson was on the court. Uh, it, not really the case, but like it's it's been good enough. And the reason I expected that is just you know from kind of the the eye test, right? Like the ball just moves a little bit better, the screens are set a little bit better when Dolson's out there. You know, you mentioned the excellent shooting; she's been following less uh, in her time back recently, which I think is obviously always like something you keep your eye on with Steph Dolson. This is kind of, you know, one area where uh, I kind of want to see it against the best teams, you know, the, the Dolson Parker combo, but it's definitely been working. They, they've been killing teams with, with those two players out there and uh, kind of having two natural fives who can both shoot a little bit. And uh, you know, you have the additional size over, you know, an Azra Stevens who I'm sure we'll get to at some point, but without a stew do here, like your rotation bigs are Parker, Dolson, Hebert, Stevens, all those players are credible floor spacers or in Hebert's case, like one of the most effective two point scorers in the league. So yeah, that's it, solid. It's just, you know, you have a, a lot more credible offensive options. And I don't think any of those players you're really taking a huge drop off defensively from what a stew gives you. So, I mean, Dolson's been great. Obviously, you know, she's not going to shoot 54% from three on any volume, but you know, we'll take the makes as long as she's out there. She has gravity. 
gravity from out there. And that's, that's, as we always say, that's the, that's a big thing. Um, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. She's definitely guarded. You know, teams don't want her to take open threes. Whereas a student do during, uh, when she was playing, you know, I don't think teams were really respecting her for that. And that just makes, and maybe, maybe it's because they were loading up everywhere else because they knew this guy didn't really have that many shooters. So it's like, okay, whatever. We'll, we'll take, we'll give up the, the open three to do if, if we just keep copper and the shields out of the paint, maybe that was the case, but I don't think Ndu was playing that great prior to her departing. And whenever you talk about players coming back or, or players taking somebody else's minutes, you got to think, okay, uh, it's, it's not just who's playing, it's who's not playing. And I hate to kind of shed someone in a negative and put someone in a negative light like that. But um, when somebody like Hebert is coming out, like Hebert has improved a lot, I think. Um, and Parker and Dolson obviously bring tremendous strengths with them as well. I, I don't think a student do is really missed at the current moment. Is there anything that a do brings to this team that another option doesn't provide at least at equal or, or maybe at a higher level? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, like I said, a has this reputation of being a good outside shooter, but she hasn't really, she didn't really show it when she was uh, playing previously, like the previous month. I, I think Dolson is a much better screen setter. Uh, Hebert, obviously way better rolling to the hoop and, and finishing at the hoop. Parker, you know, just much better defensively. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Yeah. And I think she, you know, maybe outside of Hebert and Stevens, they're all kind of in the same category, just as like players who aren't really going to give you an extra pass. Uh, the, I think the ball just kind of sticks a little bit more when a stew's out there and just the overall offensive numbers have been really, really tough for us to 24% from three, 46% from two. The team has really, really struggled when, when she's been out there. And, you know, I think having, I, I don't want to say like it's because a stew is not playing that things have been successful, but you know, the other options are just better players. And quite frankly, and, you know, I, I didn't really think a, like a Ruthie Hebert would be, a more valuable contributor this year than a stew do, but I, you know, it's, it's hard to deny that she is for sure. You know, what's really impressive about Hebert so far this season is her hands and not just catching the ball and finishing. Cause we knew she could do that, but on defense, she's really, really active. Um, I don't think she was ever going to be like a lockdown post defender. She's going to be a little undersized against the bigger centers and maybe not as quick as, as some other ones, but she gives a lot of effort. She gives really good effort and she's really not afraid to, to get down on the floor and, and really, and grab at the ball and enforce turnovers. So I'm, I've been really impressed with Hebert, and I think that's ultimately what will force James Wade to continue to play her. Because like I said, we know she's, she's excellent at rolling with the hoop and finishing, but it's what she's improved at on the other end of the court that has really given her these extra minutes and, and made her as valuable as she has been. Yeah, and those hands offensively as well, you know, that's something that Astu has struggled with, I think, as you mentioned in your notes. You know, I don't think there's really any doubt that, you know, of the two kind of uh, forward spots or, or, or the power forward center spots, like Astu kind of gives you the least offensively, um, at least this version of her. Maybe if she starts hitting her threes and, and continues to take them at a pretty good volume. She's just kind of the most offensive. I don't, I don't want to say limited because she can give it to you from, from either outside or, or inside, but, you know, effectiveness, I think she's kind of the, the fifth best of the five that we're talking about offensively. Now, the one thing that, that the one area I think that may, um, the one thing that might change here is uh, Azrae Stevens, because she is a player, you know, I think really disappointing to lose her last season, and she's kind of been working her way back this season. I don't think James Wade wants to play her more than 20, 22, 24 minutes. Sometimes he has to, but, you know, in an ideal world, I don't think he will. What have you thought about her performance? Because I think it's been mixed. 
Yeah, she's really kind of the one player for me in like the kind of core rotation that I'm still waiting to, to come around. You know, I think I had higher expectations than what we've seen from Stevens, you know, even with the uh, the limited minutes and, and that can always make things tough. But, um, you know, 5-16 true shooting and, you know, for the season and, and in this win streak particularly, it's kind of, you know, the same as it always is with Ezra Stevens, right? It's pretty good in the restricted area. She's been 60% in this win streak, 51% for the season. You'd like to see that be a little bit higher for the overall season. You know, 33% from three during the win streak, 40% overall from the season. And and in between those two areas, in between the three and the restricted area, it's ugly. It's it's really bad. Well, I, we don't need her taking those shots, you know. Uh, we, of course, is this guy. I don't want to say that. But um, they don't need – this guy don't need Ezra Stevens taking those shots, especially off the dribble because it's like that's not a very – it's not a shot you want. And from three, like I think that number could be a little higher actually. But she's gotten a lot of really good three-point looks, like a lot of wide-open three-point looks. So I'm happy with the shots that she's taking for the most part. Um, and then, like, rolling the hoop, she's a, I think she's gotten some good rebounds. Um, maybe not as much of a defensive force as I would have expected. But like I said, she's she's still working her way back, I think. You know, you see her um, – whenever she's not in the game, she's, she's working that uh, stationary bike, trying to stay fresh, trying to keep that foot uh, going. So I hope – she's able to really recover and get back to full strength because if she is, I think this front court is going to be really, really, really solid. But as of now, um, I think like 20 minutes a game is, is probably about right. Eric, I feel like she has given us less off the ball activity offensively. I feel like she was like a really great cutter last season and, she was. and we, we've seen less of that this year. Yeah, maybe that's a good point. Maybe, maybe they're just not looking for it as much, but you're right. It does seem like most of her off the ball activity is just spotting up behind the three line right yeah and you know the the self-creation is just not really a, a good possession for Azra Stevens when she any possession that she takes a dribble she is shooting 29 percent and any possession that she doesn't take a dribble and a lot of these are threes so the effective field goal percentage is even higher but she's shooting 44 percent from the field and you know granted uh, some of these like no dribble opportunities are, you know, a dribble penetrator finding her in like the, the dunker spot or an offensive rebound. But even still, 1.38 points per possession on no dribble jumpers. And then the good, the good ones where she does take a dribble, it's, you know, it's a one dribble situation, either attacking a closeout when she kind of curls around to the elbow instead of the three-point line, or she takes one dribble finishing in transition, or, or just kind of taking advantage of a smaller player. But the back-to-the-basket stuff, like there was one possession where she tried to like post up Bree Turner, like what is Azari Stevens trying to put Bree Turner into the goal for? Yeah, like that's, yeah. that's just not going to go well. Anytime there's like uh, two or three dribbles or, or more, it's just not really going to go well for her offensively. But yeah, I, like you said, I think the shooting – uh, she definitely has missed some like wide, wide open opportunities, especially in the corner. I, I don't think she's she's hit a corner three yet this season, and those are those are looks that I expect to come around. But again, you know, when you are so limited in your minutes, it can be a little bit tougher to find your rhythm. I think, but I expect you know the shooting to improve. Uh, hopefully, some of the off ball activity will improve, and you know, just the overall shot diet of kind of you know taking away some of those those mid range shots will uh, be helpful. As do I. And you know what, guess what? Even if it doesn't improve, having Azari Stevens coming off your bench is, is pretty good. Yeah, I think we maybe had a little bit loftier expectations that she would be uh, the best option for this team finishing games. And, and honestly, I think like the best version of this team like still has her as a more effective player than Steph Dolson. You know, uh, we'll see what happens after, you know, they play like Seattle and, and 
Vegas and stuff like that. You know, Vegas specifically, I think, is a tough matchup for Stevens and maybe a little bit better of a matchup for Dolson. But, you know, I think there's still reason to have legitimate concerns over Dolson in, in the closing lineup against the best teams. Yeah, very fair. Okay, uh, there are a couple other players you wanted to get to. Uh, what next here? Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the bench rotation, specifically with the, the backup point guard. The overall kind of on-off numbers, you know, with Courtney Vandersloot out of the game, if you just looked at that, uh, it's, it's still a pretty large contrast, but it really hasn't been like the same as it always is, right? Like uh, offensively, you know, they are kind of doing just fine when Courtney Vandersloot sits and it's the defense that, that falls apart. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about like Dana Evans, Lexi Brown, kind of what you thought of this, uh, this backup point guard rotation. Yeah, very strange situation, of course. A few weeks ago, this guy were getting absolutely dragged for a, a lot of these very strange moves. Gave up on Shiloh Hill very quickly um, and made a lot of weird transactions just to get below the cap and to bring Lexi Brown back which as I understand it was like their main goal behind all these weird moves. Like Natasha Mack got signed and cut, what, like two or three separate times, the interesting stuff. But um, I don't think my opinion, my, my opinion heading into the season on, on Lexi Brown has changed that much. Honestly, I don't think she's, she's a natural point guard. Um, she has some, a lot of value defensively, of course. And that's, I think what's ultimately going to earn her minutes on this team. But as an initiator, I don't think she's like a primary playmaker type of, of of player. And Dana Evans, like I don't know, I mean she 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 has the uh, capability to shoot some threes, but what I worry about with her is um, everything below the three point line because I don't think she can beat many people off the dribble, or rather, beat many players off the dribble and then finish. And that's that's pretty limiting, you know, combined with her size. So I don't know. It's 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 a tandem that it's not ideal, but it's far better than you know what this guy were rolling out earlier in the season which was a player who literally could not get the ball off the court without turning it over. So I, I don't know, like it's, it's not, it's not the best, but it's as a fan, it's more comforting than it was prior. Yeah. And this is, um, you know, one of the reasons why you bring an alley Quigley off the bench, right? Because whether it's Evans or Brown and neither one of those players kind of surprisingly have played with Candace Parker at all. Like Chicago's not really going to that Vandersloot Parker stagger. It's mostly been kind of alley Quigley, not necessarily as like uh running the offense really because she's not really playmaking for others, but she's the one that's kind of getting the shots up in those minutes, which allows for, you know, Evans and Brown, which I think both of their best uh, attributes offensively are as floor spacers. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the offense, it's been able to kind of sustain like a, a 100 offensive rating when Vandersloot sits, like that's not amazing. But when you consider the offensive ratings in previous seasons, you know, 81 and a half last year, not 84 and a half. Yeah. yeah, 84 and a half in 2019. So, but, you know, defensively is kind of where they fall apart with their bench in. Uh, and obviously, like, Sloot is not really adding a ton of value on the defensive end. So, you know, maybe, maybe you just find a way to kind of stagger some of your better defensive players. And again, I think a lot of that will come with maybe some Azra Stevens improvement and, uh, and, and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of, you know, Brown, obviously I think she's still kind of more of a wing, but you know, this is kind of two years in a row where teams are sort of forcing her into this backup point guard role that I don't really think is kind of the natural role for Lexi Brown. And maybe, maybe she disagrees. I don't know. I'm sure she would, but uh, the fact of the matter is she's, she's got to start hitting her shots. You know, um, I, I, she hit a couple shots in the New York in the second New York Liberty game, I, I believe it was. But other than that, 
again, like the jump shot versatility is, is just not one that's is conducive to primary playmaking. And that's, that's fine, I guess. But when you're shoehorning her into a backup point guard role, it's, that's just not, it's just not going to work. But um, anyway, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, bringing these two players off the bench, I'd much rather have that than bringing Shyla Hill and Stephanie Watts off the bench. Because once again, like there's just more functional depth. Um, those two were not WNBA level players at, at the time be at the time, you know, talk about the process if you want behind drafting or drafting heel and then trading her and then trading for Watts and then cutting her. Like it was bad. Like no, no qualms about that. I, I totally agree. It was bad. It made no sense. It was, it was bad, but, but um, I mean like Dana Evans and Lexi Brown can get the ball over half court. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an objectively better combination. So um, say what you will about that process. It's in the past now. Um, right now, it's better for the team's goal, which is to win a championship. And I think you're seeing that in, in the bench play. Uh, I guess one, I, the, the one kind of core rotation player we hadn't really hit on is Diamond to Shields. Did you have any thoughts about kind of, uh, you know, the last seven games from Diamond to Shields or just kind of her role on this team in general? Um, or should we just kind of wrap up? Uh, you know, I still wish the Shields would be more consistent. I, I feel like she's making still making a lot of uh, mistakes, you know, with the basketball, not, not making an extra pass or, or, or forcing it too much. As you said, I think um, the Shields trying to beat people off the dribble in the half court is, is, is not uh, an optimal offensive possession, but defensively, I, I think she's been a, a lot better recently. It's just, it's just as, as, as has been the previous few years, it's just a matter of getting that consistency from the Shields on both ends of the court. Maybe, maybe that's not as big of an issue now that Chicago has its, has all of its big guns back. I don't know. Yeah, maybe this is unfair, but, you know, I, I think Diamond to Shields is, is a very effective player. You know, she, she can hit the three. She can attack the closeout. Obviously, she's great in transition. But, you know, I, I do feel like Diamond to Shields sometimes kind of takes shots that she thinks that she should take as, like, a, her, her stature in the league. You know, she kind of takes shots that a star would take and she just she's not really able to hit those at a very consistent level where it's you know a contested jump shot from from 15 feet or you know she's just kind of creating for herself off the dribble stuff like that so you know I she's obviously a a very effective player in certain situations you know I think everybody kind of wishes the defense would be a little bit more consistent but um, you know the the superstar upside I think is is kind of waning each day and it's like you don't need those shots especially on a team that has all of its players back. I, I understand, like, if you're really, really shorthanded, and it's like, well, somebody's got to shoot it. But now that you've got Parker, Vanderslew, Quigley, Dolson, they're, they're all in the fold, and you can run legitimately good and legitimately efficient offense. Settling for a, a pull-up two-point jumper off the dribble is, is, is just not, it's not ideal. So I wanted to kind of ask you, as, as uh, we look ahead to uh, perhaps a, a tougher schedule coming for this team, um, what what is their best closing five? Do we have a good idea of kind of what this team should be running out against the best teams? You know, whenever that may be, uh, whenever a high leverage game kind of comes, are they going to have to kind of choose between offense and defense? Like, does the the difference that Diamond Shields might make defensively kind of make up for? You know, obviously Allie Quigley is is a great offensive player as we've seen over the past uh, seven games. Um, where where do you how do you kind of feel about what this team will look like? closing games against the best teams. Oh, I definitely think it's situational. And that's, and this is something we've talked about before is that James Wade obviously, obviously, obviously feels like it's situational as well. He has not been afraid to bench Quigley in, 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 in games in which you really need a defensive stop. Uh, 
So, and you know, you, we've seen it during this winning streak, like Quigley was instrumental in getting that second win over Indiana. She had that one, one three pointer at the end of the game there that, that put this guy ahead for good. Uh, but at other times, I mean, her defense has been pretty bad. So there are teams in the league where you just can't afford to have that, um, have her in the lineup in certain situations. So I don't know. It, to me, the more interesting question I, is, well, can I just like, does, does Candace Parker's presence, like, you know, being really kind of shoring up the back line of this defense, like, does that make, does that alleviate that a little bit where you kind of can go more offense in other spots or just, you know, maybe the Sloot Quigley combination, like both of them being out there kind of, you know, it, it outweighs it the other way. Yeah. And, you know, for, for one, I think Vandersloot has been better defensively this year than, than advertised uh, or at least act, active active activity wise. Um, she's been a lot more active on defense, but yeah, you know, that, that's a tough question. I mean, the thing that I wanted to get into was who is the other, uh, who's the other big besides Parker, because if you have Dolson out there, and having Dolson and Quigley and Vandersloot, then that could be a problem defensively, you know, because Parker can't cover for all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think as it stands right now, it, it's got to be Dolson until we see okay. kind of like the the Azra Stevens that we expected coming to this year, right? I mean, yeah. I, I don't think there's any real um, case that Stevens has earned that closing role so far. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and in that case, I think it just has to be situational just for defensive purposes. Maybe if it's a game in which, like, they're 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 down they're down by like six eight points i'd rather have quickly in there just for that that quick hitting option or that that option that keeps us keeps a floor space when you really need a bucket but if they're playing with the lead i think i'd rather have both copper and the shields in there for defense so i guess we can kind of get to some final thoughts we can kind of wrap it up here uh one thing i just kind of wanted to say like injuries aside and and schedule aside like i i think there's sort of reason to think that the the win streak is more representative of, of the losing streak. Obviously, you know they're they're playing with their better players, but you know Quigley played in some of those uh, losses. Uh, Dolson played in some of those losses. But you you look at the losses. There there was one double digit loss, and then they lost by you know three three five one seven. I think there might have been a nine point loss in there. And then five of their seven wins have been by double digits, and four of those five were by 16 plus. So, you know, when you're looking at a bunch of close losses and then a bunch of blowout wins um, and kind of all these games were against bad teams, right? Almost all of them. So uh, I think that that's an encouraging note for this guy. Yeah, it's absolutely encouraging. And that's, that's the one thing that uh, really kept me afloat when they were losing all those games. It's like, I mean, come on, if, if you're losing on, on buzzer beating half court shots and then in, in overtime over like consistently, like several overtime losses, I mean, those are the types of the games that could really go either way, you know, statistically speaking. I mean, were this guy the better team in those games? No, but throughout the course of a season, they, they, those are the things that typically tend to even out. And then once you're getting these these bigger wins against roughly the same level of competition, at the end of the day, that's got to be encouraging. Um, like I said before, it's the past is in the past. You've got to look forward to, to to the teams coming up now. and. Um, I don't know. I, I, once again, I think Seattle and Vegas are going to be a very, a very big challenge for this guy. So we'll see uh, if this team is for real, for real. Yeah. And then also just kind of some, some of those other like uh, in between teams, you know, they got three games with Dallas coming up. I think that'll be an, an interesting test because Dallas oh, for is, sure. you know, one of the best offenses in the league uh, uh, as, as much as we may uh, quibble with some rotation choices down there in Dallas, but yeah, it'll, it'll 
you know, it, it's so funny kind of just seeing these teams play like the same teams over and over again, uh, over like a, a five game stretch, they'll play the same team three times. Uh, it almost kind of like you, you learn a little bit less, I think, because you're, you're kind of getting the same looks, but yeah, I mean, do you, last question I'll ask before we kind of wrap up here, like, how are you feeling kind of going against some of the best teams and, you know, we won't see Seattle until, uh, I mean, really we won't see a game against Seattle or Vegas until after the Olympic break. So. Well, yeah, if it's after the Olympic break, then I think I'd feel a little better. Like if, if those games against Seattle were coming up next week, I'd be like, uh, I don't know about this, but maybe after the Olympic break, when the team has more time to rest and get healthy, then that's probably good. Because if you look at the, the team, I mean, Quigley, uh, Parker, Vandersloot, you're going to need that, that break, that rest by that point in the season. You know what I'm saying? So, Maybe um, I'd probably feel better. Still, I'm not feeling as great as I did before the season started. I don't think my expectations were too high. I think it was. I think it was realistic. But you know, those games coming late in the season, it, it's going to be. It, it's going to be interesting, Stephen, because theoretically, like the sky could hold their own destiny. You could could control their own destiny rather heading into the playoffs regarding seeding. You know, um, obviously leapfrogging both Seattle and Vegas when you're already behind them is not very realistic, but if you're playing those teams, the teams that are ahead of you several times, like at the very end of the season, that makes for some compelling matchups. Well, and the other thing too, is they already have the tiebreaker over Connecticut. That's true. That's true. So at the very least they could like, I don't know, overall expectations. It's hard when you lose seven games in a row, but there aren't really many other teams that are setting themselves apart. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's the one thing that I think is really keeping me optimistic about this about the playoff seating. Sure, and uh, Chicago, uh, no stranger to making the finals after missing a bunch of games during exactly the right twenty fourteen. Anything can happen, folks. Oh, the the one thing that you know we we've kind of touched on it before, but the one thing that you know has to be encouraging as you just kind of look at this team sort of standing within you know the best teams in the league is Parker is still kind of giving you what was advertised from the the transaction you know she's still shoring up the back line of the defense she's still making easing the playmaking burden for for the perimeter players so yeah the the competition hasn't been great and there were some tough losses in there but the thing that we thought was the element that might take them over the hump you, you've gotten exactly that I think yeah definitely uh in, in pretty much every aspect you know Parker has struggled offensively in some of these games Obviously, she lit New York up, but New York has nobody who can guard her. So some of the other games are maybe she struggled with making shots or whatever, but it, it doesn't feel like she's forcing too many things on offense. And like I said, she just provides that calming presence on, on both ends of the floor, really. And it's the fit, I think, it, it just couldn't be better. Well, uh, thank you all so much for listening. I, I think we're done here, right? Um, yeah, we're done. Th- this was uh, a little bit different of uh, an in-season episode than we usually do, kind of focusing just on one team. But I think you know, obviously it's a team that Eric is very familiar with. And then I got to see them twice in person this week as they came to New York. So, and the circumstances, I mean, you don't, teams don't typically lose seven games and then win seven games in a row. So that's true. The, uh, the sky have yet to kind of, you know, outside of, uh, the start of the losing streak and then the end of the losing streak, we haven't really seen like a loss, win, loss or a win, loss, win, uh, situation for this guy. It's just been, uh, just been streaks so far, but this was a fun episode. Um, I, I really liked kind of diving into the, the sky here. Uh, look forward to their game tomorrow. Obviously we'll know the results of that by the time this comes out, but um, 
Again, thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Google, and Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA, at NemchokE for Eric's personal account, at Trinkwald for myself, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Take care, everybody.